Well, uh, it's good to be back with you all again today. Uh, it is a, a joy and an honor to be able to fill this pulpit because for me, one of the greatest privileges of my life is to know your pastor. You thought maybe I was going to say uh, to know Jesus, and of course that's that's there, but your pastor has been a gift to me. He's been a friend in moments of crisis. He's been a voice of calm in the busyness of my own heart, something I'll talk about in a few moments. I'm just grateful for him. I'm grateful for his whole family and the way that even the kids have been able to minister to me. Um, so a little shout out to the boys. Um, we're grateful that, uh, that uh, we get to celebrate Father's Day today date as well. So uh, I want to extend my uh, expression of Happy Father's Day to you uh, uh, gentlemen in the room. Maybe some of you are actually fathers. Maybe some of you are uh, spiritual fathers. Um, maybe you're both. And what a gift that is to be able to pour into others, to speak into the life of another person, to, to be strong for them. And, and I give praise for that. And we're, I'm thankful for that, for all the men in my own life. And, and especially want to encourage you as you take seriously that calling. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that is dear to me because it challenges me. It gets in my business a lot. Uh, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. The, the, this chapter uh, is a chapter that's very famous, but we perhaps don't always think of uh, the passage we're going to look at today, which has already been read. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, but uh, it's a passage that uh, comes right on the heels of another very famous passage, the parable of the Good Samaritan, where uh, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says in his uh, desire to trap Jesus, it says at the beginning of the section, asks him uh, to declare what the greatest commandment is, or whether or not uh, you can have eternal life. Uh, all of these different conversations are kind of hinted at in this, the, the eternal life question in particular. Jesus takes him down a road that exposes the man's heart and, of course, starts to talk about the call to love. And, uh, and we know from that passage that Jesus is going to catch him, even though the man maybe doesn't fully realize it right then. But that captures the, the context of the passage we're about to read, because just as that man came with a very busy uh, conscience and a very busy agenda, we have another person who expresses that kind of life in the person of Martha. In fact, as far as we know, this is the first in time that Martha and Mary and presumably their brother Lazarus meet Jesus. And uh, this, as we, we saw from the reading a few minutes ago, this is uh, a moment where Jesus is entering a village. And we often think of those moments as just passing comments, but the truth is every word drips with an incredibly important and powerful truth that will be for our hearts. So let me just read one quick thought, uh, that just the one verse or two verses from this passage, and then we'll pray and we'll look at it together. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let me pray for us. Father, we lift up our 
eager hands to you, hungry to receive from you what only you can give. So by your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate this passage? Would you teach us from it? Would you apply it to each of our hearts? Father, help us to guard against the desire to think of other people who should be hearing this message and let it be for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I got this experience that I have had multiple times because our family has a tendency to buy cars that, shall we say, lack reliability. Uh, this is certainly the case even for our son, who I think has received the lion's share of the trouble with cars that we've purchased over the years. In this case, this was a car that he purchased. He's been able to enjoy it for the last six months or so, but then uh, it started to experience some challenges, something that, uh, uh, that I'm sure most of us have experienced. In his situation, he was sitting at a Walgreens doing something for his mom and dad loving us well by picking up some medications in the drive-through. And as we all know, during this coronavirus time, drive-throughs and uh, uh, tend to be longer and more tedious than they were beforehand. There's so many people in line waiting and waiting. And so he's sitting there and whenever his car was in idle, just sitting there idling, it, uh, it started to smell a little funny. It started to smoke a little bit. He, he remembered hearing some, some funny noises from it, even in the, previous couple of days. And so he immediately called me and said, dad, there's something going on with my car. And I wasn't sure what else to do, but I knew he was only about a half a mile from our mechanic uh, providentially. So I said, Wes, go, go to the mechanic. Um, um, we'll, you know, take care of the, go walk inside, take care of the Walgreens thing, but then head right over to the mechanic. And so he did. And they put it on the little diagnostic thing and they checked it and they checked it. They couldn't get it to smoke again. They couldn't get it to do, which often happens whenever we go to the mechanic. And, uh, and so they called me and said, uh, we're sorry, uh, but we're not, we're not finding anything wrong with this car. So I just shrugged and said, okay, well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And I had them do an oil change since it was about time to do it anyway. And Wesley drove the car home. In fact, he drove it for the next week without any problems. But then uh, in about, uh, about a week ago now, it's last weekend, he was, uh, he was getting ready to go pick up his brother from work. And he said, he, he turned the car off and he came back to me and he said, Dad, the, the battery light's coming on. Now, well, not, I don't know much about cars, but I know that any time a light comes on the dashboard, except for the one check engine light that's on my car, that I at this point virtually ignore because it never shows anything when they actually take it to fix it. But for Wesley, that check battery light was not something we were gonna fool around with. And so we uh, immediately uh, started looking at it and we realized that the serpentine belt had, had broken. They don't normally do that. It looked like it was in pretty good shape except it was just like it was cut. And so we, uh, so we knew immediately we needed to get that fixed. I'd fixed serpentine belts before. It had been a long time, but my brother, thankfully, was in town. So we had to put it on our agenda to get it fixed. Unfortunately, we ran out of time. He had to go back to, to his hometown. And, and so I'm stuck, and I'm looking at this thing. Can't figure out how in the world am I going to do this. So um, uh, sadly, I, uh, I sat with frustration and grouchiness and bitterness before I finally did something about it. What I was doing in that moment, what I was doing throughout that week and into the weekend was experiencing something that I experience 
way too often. I wish as pastors we could tell you that we have got this Christianity thing figured out, that we know what we're doing, that we never struggle with anything like this, but in our, our hearts we tremble. In our hearts we go to these anxious places, to these busy places. We don't always know how to rest. I've appreciated how this worship service has been moving us toward that, that idea of, of pursuing and finding rest. Uh, but our hearts are busy. Our hearts are so busy that sometimes it even causes us to not want to pray. That's why Paul Miller said that learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life, but it does, when we do it, offer us a less busy heart. What we find in this passage, though, as we look at it, is that we learn that, that this busyness is, is very much alive and well in at least one, and as I've already kind of hinted with Luke chapter 10 earlier with the Good Samaritan story, two, at least, different people who experience the busy heart. And what I want to do for a few minutes is do something that I don't do very often. I want to, do, I want to preach a two-point sermon. Uh, usually I go three, so I'm already feeling anxious because I'm not doing it the way I normally do. I'm feeling very busy right now. But I want to talk about, first of all, the symptoms of the busy heart. You see them alive and well in Dear Martha. This woman who has had whole books written on her because of her anxiousness and her busyness. But you see three symptoms that come out in her. The busy heart, first of all, we're going to look at is a disturbed heart. You see, a busy heart is always about something. There's always something going on. As Jesus says here, you are worried and upset. You are anxious and troubled about many things. There's always something that's, that gets us stirred up. We might think that, okay, if I can ever, if I chase down an answer to this dilemma, to this anxious thing, to this anxious thought, then I'll be at rest. And then we find as soon as that one's conquered, another one takes its place and another one takes its place. And it just continues to stir up and, and snowball in our hearts. We do this as a church. We do this in the church as Christians. We find ourselves, maybe you've heard of this, the Pareto Principle. Um, this is a, a loose paraphrase of the basic idea, at least when it comes to life in the church. It's the idea that about 20% of the people do 80% of the work, which uh, I'd love to say that means the other 80% of the people do the other 20% of the work, but no, that's not the case. It's more like about those 80% do about 10% of the work. So 10% of the work never gets done, which is why as pastors, especially in elders, we are always looking at the things that aren't completed. And we, we tend to uh, get stirred up in that. There's always more to do. We're always experiencing that. And Martha is experiencing that with Jesus now as she is worried about and, and working on everything around her. She's looking for uh, things to get done. And she notices that Mary is just sitting there. Every kid knows this. If mom and dad say, get in the kitchen and do those dishes. And all the kids go tromping in, the, in there before long. We knew we were going to hear it when our kids were younger, uh, at least at the age where we felt we could trust that when they washed the dishes, I wouldn't be eating a little bit of the previous night's dinner on a clean dish because it wasn't quite done right. When, when, we, when our kids learned how to do dishes well, we would inevitably hear one of them say, yell out the name of another sibling and say, they're not helping. That's what Martha's doing with Mary. Grown women still do this. So kids, don't, don't get uh, too uh, worried about this. You're still going to struggle with it as an adult. 
but she's saying that I'm, I'm the only one doing something. And of course, what's she doing? She's just exposing this heart of anxiousness. She's exposing the disturbed heart. Peter Kreef says this, we want, we want to complexify our lives. What he's wanting to point out, and I'll, I'll finish the quote, is that there's something in our hearts, that disturbed heart, that actually feeds on that disturbed thing. It feeds on this, this complexification, as Peter Kreef says it. He says, we don't have to, we want to. We want to be harried and hassled and busy unconsciously. We want the very things we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hole in our hearts and be terrified because that hole is so big that nothing but God can fill it. You hear what Peter Kreef's saying? If we had the rest, if we had the silence, we wouldn't let it stay for very long because it only exposes our need. And we don't like to face our need. We feel uncomfortable with our need. And so we do something crazy. We experience a bit of the distracted heart. We go from disturbed to distracted. That's the second symptom. As Martha expresses it, Martha was, or as Luke expresses it about Martha, Martha was distracted with much serving. There's Jesus, the Lord of the universe. Now, they may not have fully understood that, but they knew there was something special about him. Martha had already welcomed into her, him into her house back in verse 38. So we know he, she sees something significant here, and yet she's distracted. She's if Peter Kreeft is to be under is to be approved in this, she is intentionally distracting herself. She's distracted. It's it's not just that it's about all about something. It's all about something specific. It's all about that. All about the preparations that need to be made, the things that perhaps were important. Certainly, you know, hey, we got to eat. Somebody's got to make the meal. Things got to get cleaned up. And so we, we, we make our excuses, but, but ultimately what we're doing is we're seeking to distract ourselves from facing that kind of yeah, the, uh, not so great stuff in our hearts. That's what Kevin DeYoung um, says when he says that uh, we are busy because we try to do too many things. We're, we do too, too many things because we say yes to too many people. We say yes to all those people because we want them to like us and we fear their disapproval. It's not wrong to be kind, he says. In fact, it's the mark of a Christian to be a servant, but People pleasing is something else. Doing the cookie drive so that you can love others is one thing. Doing the cookie drive so that others might love you is quite another. So much of our busyness comes down to meeting people's expectations. And then he goes on and he says later on in his book uh, called uh, Crazy Busy, that for too many of us, the hustle and bustle of electronic activity is a sad expression of this thing that he calls deep acedia. We feel busy, but not the hobby, uh, but not with hobby or recreation or play. We are busy with busyness. Rather than figuring out what to do with our spare minutes and hours, we're content to swim in the shallows and pass our time with passing the time. We grow accustomed to this kind of feeling, this strange mix of busyness and lifelessness. 
We're always engaged with our thumbs, but rarely engaged with our thoughts. We keep downloading information, but rarely get down into the depths of our heart. That's acedia, purposelessness disguised as constant commotion. Do you hear that? That's what Martha's doing. That's what we tend to do. We, we tend to distract ourselves with so many things so that we don't have to face the truth. We are a disturbed heart. We have distracted hearts, but finally, that turns to something. It turns outward. It, it starts in here, and it's all bubbling around, but then before long, it spills out into a demanding heart. Do you hear it there? Lord, you do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her to help me. It's, we know that Martha has kind of crossed a, even a bigger line than what we may think that we ever would. It's one thing for her to complain about Mary. It's quite another for her then to start complaining to Jesus. Don't you care about me? Mary clearly doesn't care about me. What about you, Jesus? Don't you care that I'm serving here all alone? The, the, the symptoms of the busy heart are on full display when we turn toward demanding and devouring the people around us. We're so caught up in it when we look at our st story today. When we think about the, the challenges of the coronavirus, do I have it? Do I have to wear a mask? Are my freedoms being taken away because I'm not meeting in corporate worship right now? Well, I still have a job when this is over. And a thousand other uh, busy thought, heart, heart thoughts come spilling out of us. And then before long, what do we do? Just go to Facebook and see it. We start attacking each other. We start turning it into an opportunity to eat one another alive with our words. I have been the recipient of that far too many times just in the last few weeks. And I'm sure you've experienced it too. This is what a busy heart does. It eventually will turn on the people that we love. And so you see the symptoms of the busy heart. But I want to get to the grace I want to get to the beauty of the gospel as quickly as I can, but let me just leave you with this illustration before I go to grace. Our daughter, Abby, we adopted her from Guatemala, and she is a strange bird in this way. Abby, who came to live with us around eight years old and is now 20 years old, loves Korean culture. I want you to understand Abby is Guatemalan, but she's fully Americanized. But for some reason, she wishes she was Asian. She wishes she was Korean. She wishes that she could uh, live in the K-pop world and eat Korean food and watch Korean dramas all day long. That was the, that was the world that she just, especially when she was younger, she was in. And, and yet she didn't have, she wanted to learn Korean, but she didn't have quite as easy access to learning Korean. So she picked up Chinese and she started learning to, how to read and to write Chinese. And we, uh, we watched it with her and we, we experienced this world with her. And um, I, was, I sat with her as she was working on some of the Chinese characters. And one of the fascinating things about those Chinese characters is that they mean something. Each one of those uh, Chinese characters is a picture that means something, some truth or some idea. So it's interesting to me that, they, that the language of busyness, the, 
the, the word busy in Chinese is made up of two characters. The first of those two characters means heart. The second character in the word busy is the word death. And so we see it, don't we? Busyness leads to the busy heart is, the, is a heart that is death, that's dead or dying. And so we need life. We need something to breathe in and give resurrection to those busy hearts. How do we move from a heart of death to a heart of life? We do it with this incredible gift called grace. Learning to rest in grace is the challenge of the Christian. It is the challenge for us in this incredibly chaotic and busy-hearted world. It's the call that we see hinted at through these verses. Now, the majority of this message has been focusing on the symptoms of the busy heart, and it may feel like uh, almost uh, you're almost going to get robbed because I'm going to go through these grace uh, uh, antidotes um, or cure uh, relatively quickly, but I want to I want to look at them in, as as we do nonetheless. Grace extended. The resting heart is a heart that experiences an extended grace. You notice that with Jesus. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. We cannot read past that. We have to slow down and capture the magnificence and the significance of that fact. Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, the second person of the Holy Trinity, came in human flesh and walked on earth. He walked on paths that you can, and, and, and roads, little exposed Roman roads, you could go to Israel today and walk on and know that you've walked where Jesus himself has walked, physically came into this world. He came into this anxious, busy world, and he came right into a specific village. It was not an accident. It was not a mistake. Jesus came, and it says, this woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her house. It's interesting that as grace is extended in the form of Jesus even coming to earth in the first place, Open the door for people to want to open their doors to him. Mary or Martha begins to do that, but you notice she continues to struggle with this anxiety. She continues to deal with, and she even after she's invited him into her home, she's only done that much, and there's a challenge in that for us. We tend to allow Jesus to come maybe to the doorstep of our lives and maybe even to the living room of our lives, but we don't let him go to all the little dark spots in our life, all the little busy places where he could give us rest. We aren't ready to let those things go. But even when he's extending that grace, this is an incredible thing. He extends it more and more. There's this song in the hymn books that we have in our church that says, he giveth more grace. And then, in the, and then the, at the end of that line, it says, he giveth, he giveth, and he giveth again. We have a Savior who will give grace, and so he does so. Martha has already invited him in this far, but he wants to go further. So what does he say? Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. I, I know that when we read that, we, you, you might read it in your, in your head like he's rebuking her. But you can't say Martha, Martha in a rebuking tone. When he says Martha, the first time, he wants to get her attention. And the second time, he wants to get her heart. Martha, Martha. That's the, 
call of grace. It's the extension of grace that even when we are struggling to let it in, Jesus is going to keep coming after us. He's going to keep coming to us. He's going to keep declaring his, his mercy and his grace toward us. And that's what he's doing with Martha by, by pressing in to get her attention. And he gets ours as well. Grace extended is the beginning of the heart of grace of resting in grace, but grace received is also important. Yes, she welcomed him into her house. That's huge. There's an invitation in that for each one of us to to take a moment and not just acknowledge that Jesus is nearby, but Jesus wants to be near. He wants to be with us. He wants to engage with us. And so he wants to come into those places. And there's an invitation there to come, come to Jesus, to know him. I recognize that most of the folks that are watching this are are watching this as as a people who have been listening to the gospel for years under Luke's faithful preaching, perhaps before him under Dave Thomas's faithful preaching. And yet you may still have Jesus on the doorstep. I pray that you'll receive him. I pray that you'll know his love so that that extension of grace would be received as his grace continues to come after you. But finally, it's an undivided grace. Grace undivided. It's grace extended, grace received, grace undivided. There in verse 42, after he says, You're anxious and troubled about many things, Jesus says, One thing is necessary. Not your service, Martha. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. And what is Mary's good portion? What has she done? She was sitting at the Lord's feet. Nothing in her hands she brings. Simply to the cross she clings. That's our call. That's our invitation is not to come with our deadly doings, not to come with our attempts at building our own righteousness. You remember what I said earlier, that this passage comes right on the heels of the incredible story of the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. This teacher of the law has said, stood up and put Jesus to the test. It says in verse 25, teacher, what should should I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do? Did you hear the words? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But do you hear the irony in that? Maybe even a little bit of gentle sarcasm in that. Love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. But then the the irony or the sarcasm or whatever you want to call that turns to towards just almost heartbreak when you see how the man responds. Instead of saying, but no, I can't do that. He instead decides to try to figure out how he can do that. How can I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? How can I love my neighbor as myself? Oh, I know. I'll make sure that I have a manageable version of holiness. Desiring to justify himself, he says in verse 29, who is my neighbor? You see him doing it? You see what he's doing? This busy-hearted man is still trying to cling to the busyness by coming up with a way to live the managed life. 
to live a life without need for someone else to rescue him. He's not willing to have an undivided life. He's, he, he's not able to, to really receive grace for what it is. He's not able to realize how much he needs someone outside of himself to rescue him. And so he asks, how can I do this? How, how about you give me a nice tight definition of a, of a neighbor and I'll follow that. And of course, Jesus, through the story of the Good Samaritan, and this is obviously not a sermon about the Good Samaritan, but what does he do? He gives him the, the, the most difficult and unimaginable type of Samaritan love. An enemy loving someone else. And the hero of the story, of course, in that is the, the Samaritan himself. We have a Savior who's desiring to have, give us an undivided grace that we can't come with anything except our need. That's the invitation that we have in front of us. I started out talking about my son's car. When I finally called the mechanic, I said, how, uh, how about I drive it over to you? Uh, it, it, the serpentine belt isn't keeping me from driving it. It's definitely doing something to it, and it's causing the battery to be a problem, battery to be a problem but maybe I've got enough battery charge to get to you. And their response was quick and gentle. Do not drive that car to the mechanic. We will come and get it. What I still was struggling with with my busy heart was I need to offer something. I need to do something in this moment to fix this problem or I won't feel like I'm a man. And their response is such a Christ picturing response. Don't do anything. Today, as Christians, what do we have? We have a Savior who is the only one who can tow us to heaven. We have a Savior who alone can fix these busy hearts of ours. We have a Savior who has, by His willingness to take on the deepest of anxiety, as He was in the garden, you, you hear the anxiousness on His heart. Father, if there's any other way, to do this, let this cup pass from me. That Savior, that Jesus, took care of the business so that we could experience the grace. And so, my brothers and sisters at All Souls, I want to encourage you. Address those busy thoughts. Ask whether or not they're just another way to seek your own well-being rather than entrusting yourself to the one who has already sought it through his death on a cross. And find that peace and live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for exposing my busy heart. In all of the ways that I was busy, even in just preparing to talk, I recognized that I've got a long way to go. But you continue to extend grace, continue to say my name with gentleness, 
continue to remind me of the one Lord who has given himself for me. Thank you for causing me to pause when I start to demand, when I find other distractions, when I find myself living a disturbed hearted life. Thank you for the grace that comes through Jesus. Pray in his name. Amen.